Okay, so uh, what caught my eye, because I did do some investigating over the uh, break about uh, Joe Biden and trying to get to tell you how he's operating in an honest way, not speculation. So throw up the pictures of the Bidens on the beach. These are instructive. So there's the new dog uh, and uh, Joe Biden's walking him with a mask on. So Jill Biden is there too. She did have a mask, but then she took it off. Now, why would the Bidens have masks on the beach or outside? Nobody's within 500 yards of them. That's a Secret Service keeps everybody back. So there's nobody around. Secret Service are far away. Relatively speaking, they're not within six feet. They're like 50 feet away. So why would they have these masks? Why, why would they do that? And the reason is they want a virtue signal. Now, Joe Biden didn't come up with that. Jill Biden did. And here's what I found out. And I think you'll find this very interesting. So if you read Killing Reagan, you know that after President Reagan was shot and nearly killed, he was incapacitated for a while, and he took some time to recover. During that time, Nancy Reagan took over all the gate-guarding duties. So nobody could see Ronnie, that's what she called him, unless Mommy, that's what President Reagan called Nancy, permitted it. I mean, it was a shutdown, a lockdown. Wasn't a lot of work getting done. Um, by President Reagan because he was recuperating. So Nancy Reagan basically called the shots. And then after President Reagan regained his strength and started to govern, Nancy kept the uh, gatekeeper role for the eight years. And you could not get in to see Ronald Reagan unless Nancy okayed it. Same thing happening here with Jill Biden. So let me walk you through it. And this information comes from people who know. I can't burn them. So therefore, I'm saying this is secondhand information given to me. But I believe it is true. So every morning, uh, the Bidens have breakfast together. Just Jill and Joe. Okay? Hunter's not allowed or anybody else. It's just those two. Jill Biden basically tells Joe Biden, here's what's going to happen today. All right, so it's not Biden's uh, counsel or his top advisors. It's Jill. Here's what's going to happen. Is that okay, sweetie or honey or whatever? Okay, I don't know that. And then Biden assents. Biden basically trusts Jill Biden to the extent that whatever she's okay with, he's okay with. Now, this is important because if you want to come in to see President Biden, you got to get through Jill. Now, Jill is not a policy person, nor was Nancy Reagan. They didn't delve into the policy arena, neither of them. Jill has opinions, but nothing like Michelle Obama. Uh, Melania Trump stayed out of it. Um, Jill has opinions, but not... She's not assertive there. She's not going up against Ron Klain and Susan Rice, the two chief advisors. But what she does do 
is tell Klain and Rice, here's what the president's going to do today. So if she doesn't like something, it's off the calendar. Unless it's very, very important. Okay, so that's how the uh, operation is running, because Jill Biden knows that Joe Biden cannot make these decisions for himself. He can't budget time. He's got to be directed. That's the best word. Just like Ronald Reagan was after he was shot. So it took Ronald Reagan, oh, four or five months to get back and really start to govern. Joe Biden will never be able to do that. He's just not at, not intellectually there anymore. He's not coming back. It's not like he's senile or he's, no. He needs to be directed. And she is the primary director. I mean, why on earth would you wear a mask on a beach when you don't have anybody close to you? Why? Because Jill Biden wanted to virtue signal and told Joe, keep the mask on. So Joe did. I'm surprised the, the dog didn't have a mask. So that's what's going on there. Um, you know, you can believe me or not believe me. It doesn't matter to me. But I am telling you what I have ascertained, and I believe it is true. All right. There's another truism that the Democratic Party is in absolute disarray, but they have one thing on the calendar this week that they're hoping will turn things around. I'm going to get to that in a moment. So the midterm vote is 10 months. It is November 8th, okay? 10 months away. And Biden's position, as everybody knows, is very weak. All right, the polls are very bad for him. And there are three things that he is getting hammered on. Um, Inflation, obviously, everybody's paying more for stuff that they need. And if you are in a tight budget, you don't like Joe Biden because we didn't have inflation under Donald Trump. That is a fact. Second is the border. No matter what Biden does, it's over. He opened the border. It's a catastrophe. It's a disaster. And 80% of the American people know it. The third thing is COVID. Now, this is fascinating. So now Biden's position is totally changed on COVID. When he was campaigning, he blamed Trump. For the whole thing, you'll remember his famous statement, Biden's statement, if I were president, nobody would have died. Okay? Well, now we have a worse pandemic than we had under Donald Trump. Roll the tape. The president has no plan. He hasn't laid out anything. He knew all the way back in February how serious this crisis was. He knew it was a deadly disease. What did he do? He's on tape is acknowledging he knew it. He said he didn't tell us or give people a warning of it because he didn't want to panic the American people. You don't panic. He panicked. Look, there is no federal solution. This gets solved at a state level. (laughs) You know, come on. So Americans know this. I mean, whether they can recall the actual soundbite in the debate, I, I don't I don't know. But they know that no president, no federal government can solve COVID. All right, look at, look at the information that comes forth now. Uh, masks, I don't, you know, they don't seem to be stopping the new variant. I, I don't know, I wear, I, I wear the mask because I have to. In New York, if you want to go anywhere, you got to wear a mask. All right, am I confident the mask stops anything? No, I'm not. 
Fauci's out there on all the left-wing networks. Fauci should have a sheet of paper saying these are the facts that are coming forward from the Centers for Disease Control, and that's it. I don't want your opinion. I don't trust you at all, Fauci. I would have fired you a year ago. And I asked Donald Trump that. And he said, you know, if I did that, it would have been a fire, so I didn't listen to him anyway. That was in the uh, history tour. But anyway, Biden's position is no position. Now, oh, it's the state's got to do it. Let's the states. Well, wait a minute. You campaigned on if you were president, nobody would die. Right? So Americans know that. Let me recap. Inflation up around 8% now. All right. Border, a catastrophe. COVID, an abject failure on Biden's part. But with a caveat that no one, maybe Jesus could do it, but no, you, no leader is going to stop this. It's going to have to run its course. And again, I'll have personal information for you that you will want to hear at the end of this broadcast. The other thing that the um, uh, Democrats are furious about is that the spigot is closed for buying votes. This is Build Back Better. That was just a vote-buying scheme from the Democratic Party, which is why no Republicans voted for it. They, everybody knew they're going to flood the zone with trillions of dollars to buy votes. That's what it was about. Okay. So now the Democratic Party says, ooh, if you oppose Build Back Better, and again, it's dead for now, then you hate the children. Roll the tape. But we are going to put in his district, in his state, Mm -hmm. 50,000 more children at risk of going back into poverty by not advancing the Build Back Better Act because the child tax credit is in that and it expired on Friday. She's talking about Joe Manchin and Nick Witt, uh, what's his name, Tapper. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So if you don't like Build Back Better, you hurt the kids. Um... Okay, so let's go to the Pew study about child poverty, okay? You know when child poverty was the lowest in the history of America? 2019. 2019, under Trump. All, every ethnic group, child poverty went down. Everyone. Why? Because the economy was booming People were working, and they are working now, okay? And money was flowing into the homes, and child poverty went down. I mean, big time. Big. Because the Trump economy worked for everyone. There was a surge in wages. Now the wages are pretty good, but the inflation's taken that all away. So you'll see an increase in child poverty. So all this child poverty stuff is a bunch of bull. It's just a bunch of garbage. Yeah, Jake Tapper, uh, that's right, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, he should have had those child poverty stats in his hand because he knew that was, that was a wrap. Congresswoman Presley Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA with more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers? I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? 
Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. With fast-growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to houseplants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get an extra 15% off by using promo code Bill at checkout. So please go to fastgrowingtrees.com. Use promo code Bill at checkout. Okay, joining us now is a guy who knows politics as well as anybody in the United States of America, including me, much smarter than I am, Doug Schoen. He's a political strategist. He usually works for Democrats, but he's an independent thinker. He's got a brand new book out that I recommend for any of you who uh, are interested in politics. It's called America Unite or Die, How to Save Our Democracy Just Out. And Mr. Schoen joins us now from New York City. You in the book, because I'm, I'm reading it uh, you know, closely, you do blame Donald Trump for the insurrection. Uh, and it was, when I use the word insurrection, it wasn't an insurrection of we want to just blow up our Constitution. It was a one-day insurrection. They were angry about the election. So I usually call it a riot. But you blame Donald Trump for that riot in part, correct? In part, I think he could have done more to tamp it down, but I recognize and agree with you, Bill, that there's a lot more involved and at stake than just what Trump did or didn't do. And importantly to your monologue, um, I blame the left for the violence after the George Floyd killing. And I make the point that we have a breakdown in our society and both sides need, in my judgment, to try to reconcile, come together, and most of all, Bill, move past this in a constructive way. So we are working collectively on our real problems, not fighting about the past in a way that is only destructive. Okay, but that's not going to happen because there's too much money in the division. All right, so the corporate media makes money dividing Americans. And then you have the people themselves, many of whom on the left feel that George Floyd protests were perfectly legitimate, you want to burn down something to show your anger, you are perfectly uh, in the right to do that. And many on the right will say, hey, that Capitol riot wasn't that bad. Uh, they were just angry because the election was fraudulent and they had to show their anger. So those two sides, Doug, they're never going to come together. I'm not suggesting they have to come together. I'm saying they need to move on and focus on the real problems facing their, uh, this country. Because if we don't, Bill, if we don't move on, we lose as a people, as a nation, and vis-a-vis -vis our adversaries overseas. I think our democracy is at stake because we cannot even uh, agree on the basic principles of governance and the basic principles of a free market democratic uh, society. Okay, but that's recent, you know, the rise of socialism that is driving the Biden administration. There's no doubt that they want a huge government, the Democratic Party, and they want to control the economy, the spending and redistribute income. That's socialism. So that's relatively new. 
I mean, Al Gore, when he ran in 2000, wasn't touting socialism. Um, and even the Clintons were the opposite but of socialism. But he was people against the powerful. My point being, for 20 years, the Democrats have been moving left, as the Republicans, unfortunately, have moved further right than I think makes sense for our country. I don't know. I haven't. I'm the same guy that I was uh, 25 years ago when I tried it, when I started doing news analysis on a national level. I haven't and moved further right. But, but let me just tell you one thing that I have done. I now recognize that the Democratic Party is dangerous mm -hmm. as it stands now. That wasn't the case when Barack Obama first ran for office, for example, against um, John McCain. I didn't think that Obama was dangerous. I thought he was too liberal, an income redistributor, but I wasn't, I didn't viscerally dislike him. I viscerally dislike Bernie Sanders because I think he wants to destroy traditional America. I dislike him. And okay. so would you say that I move further right? No, I, I, I think you have the transcendent popularity and influence you have because you have been in the solid center of common sense and rational discourse. And as a Democrat, Bill, I would tell you I agree with your analysis of my party. It's increasingly not my party because I'm a free market, strong national defense a Democrat of the John F. Kennedy model, Bill Clinton model, not not the Joe Biden, Al, uh, not Al Gore, but the Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders model. I agree with your analysis, and I think that it is tragic for our country. Now, this latest uh, December, uh, January 6th thing, excuse me, January 6th thing, this will die off. And Trump was smart not to do the presser because that would have extended it another month. But this will be over in about a week. Uh, Joe Biden doesn't have the cachet anymore to persuade anybody to do anything. He's a very weak president. Um, I don't even think most people will listen to his speech tomorrow morning. And then the networks will try, you know, to prop it up and all that, but it won't get anywhere. What will get uh, or continue to be vexing is the COVID situation. Mm -hmm. and, and that situation now is polarizing Americans even more because on the left, they bought into the government line that everybody should be vaccinated, wear a mask, a hazmat suit, kids shouldn't go back to school. They bought into that. And on the right, they reject all of it. So even a pandemic virus where we all should be coming together to fight it somehow has divided the country politically. That's exactly right. And the five questions you put up, if I have the number correct, are all fair questions for which we don't have answers. Yeah. We don't have a consensus. And we are all shooting blind to try to make the best decisions for ourselves and our families. And politics is literally ripping our society apart. And I would say to Donald Trump, uh, Bill, if you focus on the future, you cannot lose will not lose. And if you focus on the past, you will not win. I agree with that 100%. He's got to run on his record. Stop. You know, I, I said in the message of the day, and I want everybody to read it on BillOReilly.com. If Donald Trump is reelected president, 
he, the first thing he can do is go in there and appoint a special counsel to investigate the 2020 election. All right. And use the power of the federal government to go in and to see what really happened. I mean, this Zuckerberg 430 million into the election, that should never happen. That's the big thing for me. All right. Not yeah. some ballots under some, you know, desk right. in, in Atlanta. Zuckerberg throwing 430 million into Democratic precincts for people to get hired to walk into buildings to tell people how to vote. Come on. And, and, and built it conceivably in some circumstances take over election boards. Literally, you know, I'm from Mark Zuckerberg. We're here to help you. And here's how you need to administer your election. Yeah. I don't think we need or want private money in our political process telling us how to vote and count our votes. Some states have already made it against the law to do that. But it should be Good a federal idea. law. It should be a federal be. law. We don't you, want you private are... money being donated to skew elections. Anyway, Doug Schoen's book, and I recommend it again for everybody. If you care about politics in America, this is the book for you. America, United Die, How to Save Our Democracy. Doug, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thanks very much for your time. I look You're forward to guest. it. Thank you, Bill, for the kind okay. words. So let me uh, reiterate one thing. The, the House panel on January 6, 2021, is in business only to condemn Donald Trump, okay, and get him off the board as a presidential contender next time around. That's it. That's why it's there. Everyone knows that. One of the people called to testify before that panel is a former Pentagon chief of staff under President Trump, Cash Patel. And according to Mr. Patel, this was not a good experience for him. He joins us now from where are you? Where are you? Okay, from Washington. Um, it's right here. I should have seen it, and I didn't see it. Okay, so let's very slowly walk through this. Were you subpoenaed to testify in front of the uh, House panel? So not only was I subpoenaed, and, and thanks for having me on your show. Um, I'm great to. Be, I'm so happy to be here. Not only was I subpoenaed, I found out about the subpoena through the fake news media who called me in the late evening hours, the committee issued the subpoena. The committee didn't even have the decency to communicate with me by letter or phone call beforehand. They just issued the subpoena, leaked it to the press, and had the United States Marshal show up to my door the next morning. Okay. I, I hope they gave you directions to get there. But anyway, so you, as a loyal American and former Pentagon chief of staff, um, you answer and you go and you testify. And there wasn't any problem. You, you didn't fight it. You just showed up, correct? Yeah, look, as the, as the guy who ran the Russiagate investigation for the House Intel Committee under Chairman Nunes, I think committees have an important constitutional congressional oversight role. I just think this one's is starkly different, as you outlined, and very politically motivated. But okay, I was always so, going to- But you didn't up. fight it. You didn't do a Steve Bannon. You came no. in, and I guess you expected to be asked questions about the Pentagon's response and preparation for January 6th. Is that, I, I would think that's why you were there, correct? 
Uh, you would think the January 6th committee would ask me questions about the January 6th matter, but the bulk of the interview did not have anything to do with January 6th. And, you know, my lawyers at some point in time uh, will allow me to say more publicly, but they cost me a fortune to prepare to testify about January 6th. But we spent more time talking about Afghanistan, Somalia, Iraq, and Secretary Esper and Gina Haspel than we did on January 6th. All right. So they wanted, the panel members wanted, dirt, I would assume, on the Trump administration's participation in various foreign affairs. Is that correct? Is that a fair summary? I think that's what they were going for. Um, I'm not sure what uh, punchlines they're going to get from me at the Department of Defense. No, 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 but, no, but you, you heard the questions. I mean, they obviously weren't looking for you to tell them good things about the Trump's interaction with Afghanistan, correct? They didn't want positive things, did they? No, because they didn't want to hear about our successful withdrawal plan, conditions-based withdrawal that was working. Right. So it was, it was basically yeah. a fishing expedition to try to get you to say something negative about the Trump administration that they could leak to the press. Um, that's what they wanted. Now, it's absurd because, as you know, uh, in the Trump-O'Reilly history tour, Donald Trump said, hey, on the 5th, of January, I called the defense secretary and asked that he suggest that 10,000 guard troops be moved to Washington. And that's true. We confirm that. You know that's true, right? Yeah, I was in the Oval Office when we had that conversation with the President of the United States and the Secretary of Defense. And not only was it 10,000, it was 10 to 20,000, whatever was necessary anywhere in the world. And as you and your viewers know, that's required under the law before any National Guard can be deployed. Okay, but the Guard wasn't deployed. Do you know why? Yeah, the second part of the law. The second part of the law demands, requires that a mayor or governor or United States federal agency has to request the National Guard before its deployment. It requires presidential authorization and a request from Mayor Bowser in this case or the United States Capitol Police in this case. And we went to them before January 6th after getting President Trump's authorization. And we said, do you guys need National Guard men and women around the Capitol? Mayor Bowser and the Capitol Police said no in writing to the Department of Defense before January 6th. So they put it in writing, we don't want the National Guard to protect the Capitol on January 6th. Is that correct? They, they uh, wanted about 300 troops. We told them we had an upwards of 10 to 15,000 available. They said, no, that was not needed. But 300 troops didn't show up. 300 troops were there the morning of January 6th because that request came in in the end of December from Mayor Bowser. And that 300 well, where were they? We didn't see them at the Capitol. No. So what happens with National Guard is usually is they are traffic duty police officers and law enforcement assistants to aid in the direction of traffic for automobiles and peoples and put up structures such as fencing. So they, they were, were not traffic people. They were, they were. OK. Now, Nancy Pelosi's name has been bantered around by President Trump himself as an impediment to getting National Guard troops to protect the Capitol. Is that true? Well, the United States Capitol Police reports to Nancy Pelosi in the chain of command. So she would have to have been informed and decided with the United States Capitol Police to refuse President Trump's authorization for National Guardsmen and women. So it's it's logically the only way um, it could have happened. Did you tell all that to the House committee on the uh, on uh, January 6th? 
So being a little careful here with what they'll, because they're looking to set me up in a perjury trap or whatever and, and refer me over to DOJ, I'll just tell you that I've said the same thing consistently. It's in the DOD outline, Nancy Pelosi's behaviors in the outline, and I would not say anything different to you here today. Okay, so you did tell them. You told the panel when you testified on, um, what was it, December 9th, yep. you told them, hey, um, the president and the Pentagon were ready to send 10 to 20,000 troops, but the Capitol Police said no. You told them that. Not only did I tell them that, I submitted the DOD timeline that was written and approved by the Secretary of Defense, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Secretary of the Army, who the National Guard reports to, and a dozen other people. And I also introduced the DOD Inspector General report under Biden which said that the Department of Defense acted appropriately and swiftly in relation to the events of, Nash of January 6th and the deployment of the National Guard. So when I went in with those two things being prepared to discuss, those two important facts about January 6th, um, that was seemed to be a speed bump in the conversation that was not a focal point for the January 6th committee. All right, I don't know what speed bump means, but my next question is, did Liz Cheney and the others follow up going, that's incredible? Um, we didn't know that or because remember, members of this panel have made charges that Donald Trump instigated this riot at the Capitol. Now, this obliterates that. And so does the president's uh, statements to me It obliterates. And we haven't heard much of that now. It's now he encouraged it rather than instigated it. But did they follow up to you, Mr. Patel? about the process of the National Guard and why it didn't show up. So in my in my deposition, my interview, some of the members beamed in via Zoom or Skype or whatever it was, but not a single member of the committee asked me a question. It was staff led um, in the room there. They could have asked me questions, but Miss Cheney and, and the rest did not ask me any questions. Unbelievable. And I knew that to be true. I know that to be true, because as you pointed out, this thing is only in motion to hurt Donald Trump. That's the, it's not in motion to find the truth to the American people or anything like that. Now, you have asked that the transcript of your Q&A with the panel be publicly released so that the American people can see it. Is that correct? And what has been a response to that request? Absolutely, 100% right. The whole point of constitutional oversight is for American citizens. So they should see the testimony, the question and answer. And the response has sort of been, um, we're not really ready to do that and we'll get back to you. Do you think the panel would be embarrassed if that transcript comes out? I think the truths will embarrass some of the positions that people have taken in the media and on that panel. And all I did was go in there and tell the truth, which is backed up by written evidence in the timeline in the DOD IG report. Okay. Now, you were an advisor to President Trump. You know him well, as you just said at the beginning of this interview. You were in the Oval Office when he made the request, um, and it wasn't an order, it was a request for the National Guard on January 5th. If you were advising him now, would you tell him to do that press conference on Thursday? 
I'm not a media guy. I'm not a comms guy. I've been a national security guy. I'd tell him if he was going to do a press conference on January 6th, focus on the achievements in the national security sector that we had under President Trump. And as you highlighted in the beginning of the show, you're the you're definitely the media expert there, that um, they're, the media is setting him up for some traps that he could fall into, but hopefully he, uh, he doesn't take the bait. It's very, very risky. You know, the one vulnerability that he has that I reported yesterday is that he didn't act swiftly enough on the day, January 6th, one year ago Thursday, to say to the people invading the Capitol, stop, cease. He could have tweeted that out. Remember, this was when he had access to Twitter. Um, and he waited a few hours before making a statement that y'all should leave the Capitol grounds. Now, that, I think, is a legitimate point of discussion. Am I wrong? I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's a legitimate point of discussion, but it's not one that I don't think this committee is interested in. Um, and even if the president were to go out on January 6th and say um, he engaged uh, thoughtfully and, and also preemptively like he did with the Department of Defense, I don't think most of the media would care. Um, but that's all they have now against Donald Trump on January 6th. They say he encouraged it, um, the Capitol riot. But if he comes out and says, you know, maybe I wasn't quick enough, but I was studying the situation, whatever he wants to frame it, however he wants to frame it. Because I asked him twice um, about that. If you had to do it again, would you have acted quicker? He didn't really answer. You Were you there on January 6th in the White House? No, I was in the Pentagon. Okay, so you don't know what happened there and why there was a three-hour delay between the first part of the Capitol incursion and we issued a statement. Okay, well, look, uh, Mr. Patel, we really appreciate your honesty and your straightforward um, answers to my questions. That's very good for me. I don't get that a lot. I get a lot of dancing usually, but you answer the questions. And then we'll bring you back. I hope you will watch the press conference. And if you see anything on Thursday that you can amplify on, please let us know and we'll bring you back, okay? I'd love to be back anytime, and um, I appreciate you taking the chance to talk to me. And um, uh, if your viewers could go to fightwithcash.com with a K and check out my new my new uh, trust and foundation, I'd appreciate it. We're uh, helping sure, raise give money. Give us the address again. It's uh, fightwithcash.com, cash with a K. Fightwithcash.com. Okay, cash with a K. Thank you very much, Mr. Patel. Nice Thanks to talk so. to you. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings, against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532.
I'm Mike Slater from the podcast Politics by Faith. This is a crazy time in our country. It's stressful, a lot of anxiety, and it's going to get worse. And I realized that one of the things that helps me take away the stress is realizing that there's nothing new under the sun. So on this podcast, we take the news of the day and we run it through the Bible and other periods in history to realize that we've been through this before and we can rise above again. Politics by Faith, anywhere you listen to the podcast. Politics by Faith. Now, in New York City, you have a new mayor, and the mayor says he's going to clean up crime, but he can't clean up crime because the DA, all right, a guy named Alvin Bragg, put his picture up there, says he's not going to prosecute criminals. He's not going to prosecute them. So even if the police arrest them, he's not going to prosecute them, all right? So 83% of people in Manhattan voted for him, 83%, and he's not going to prosecute criminals, all right? I've got three... I'm going to put up on full screen. These are quotes from him, from Bragg. First one, armed robbers who use guns or other deadly weapons to stick up stores and other businesses will be prosecuted only for petty larceny, a misdemeanor, provided no victims are seriously injured. Okay, are you kidding me? You walk in with a gun and stick up a bodega and you get a misdemeanor? Second one. Convicted criminals caught with weapons other than guns will have those felony charges downgraded to misdemeanors unless they're also charged with more serious offenses. Are you kidding? You can carry a gun and now if you're a convicted criminal in Manhattan and get a misdemeanor? This is outrageous. Third one. And again, he's saying these things. Drug dealers believed to be acting as a low-level agent of a seller will be prosecuted only for misdemeanor possession. Also, suspected dealers will only be prosecuted on felony charges if they're also accused of more serious crimes. I, I mean, that means you can just sell dope, heroin, fentanyl, whatever you want on the streets, and it's another misdemeanor. So, where do you see what happens? Where do you see what happens? Already, hundreds of thousands of people are leaving New York. And this will just accelerate it. And this guy, he's uh, 48 years old, first Manhattan black district attorney. He can be impeached. And one of the grounds of impeachment is willful and persistent failure to perform his duties. He does not have a right to rewrite the criminal code. This is so outrageous. I can't tell you. I know you don't live in New York City, most of you, in Manhattan, but I can't tell you how bad this is. Hey, this is Vivek Ramaswamy. The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine, enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. In Brooklyn, different jurisdiction, 17 alleged gang members were arrested and they're charged with five Four dead, five shootings, 
Um, I'm not even going to, I mean, it's just so bad. And the DA in Brooklyn, all right, Eric Gonzalez, he says, this successful takedown is part of our ongoing strategy to reduce shootings and senseless death by targeting most violent offenders in our communities. Okay, that's good. Now, remember, his jurisdiction is different from Manhattan, so he can charge him with felonies. There's four dead, four people dead because of his gang. All right. But then he also says it just goes to show how deep our challenges to change the culture that we have in some parts of our community. The culture, the culture is bad parenting, Mr. District Attorney. That's the culture. When you let your young boy run around all night with drug dealers who have guns, that's the problem. How are you going to change that? Ah, here's a terrible story. George Floyd's great niece, four-year-old girl, Ariana Delane, shot in her own house while sleeping. She's alive, but she's very severely injured. This took place in Houston. All right. Now, I don't know. This is on Yellowstone Boulevard in Houston. This poor little girl sleeping in her bed, 3 a.m., New Year's night, shot because somebody opened up on the apartment building where she lived. You, you know, if you don't get the criminals under control, we are going to lose our communities. We've already lost them in San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, Minneapolis, and other places. Tottering in Manhattan. Tottering in New York City. Okay, let's do the final thought of the day. You know, all of this strife we have between uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, Biden and Trump, it's personal now. Very personal now. Donald Trump, absolutely going to run against Joe Biden if Biden gets a nomination, which I don't think he's going to, but I could be wrong on that. But it's personal. So how does it play in, in homes where you're not locked in the news, you don't watch news, you don't get a newspaper, you don't listen to talk radio, you kind of shut out, all right? Americans, and I, I mean, I think more than half the country is in that category. They don't really know day to day what's happening. They hear things, and they read things on social media, you know, and they hear from their friends, that kind of thing. But they don't really know, all right? This is what you're watching now, this broadcast, we have a private news service. There's no corporation involved. I run the show. All of that. It's for you. This is your private news service. Okay? Well, these people never in a million years would take the time to do watch me or, or do any of that. So what do they think about all of the stuff that they're hearing? Well, number one, a lot of them believe stuff that isn't true because they just don't know the facts. And there's no way they're going to ferret them out. And number two, they're sick of it. They're sick of it. And even people who follow the news are sick of it. It's awful. Awful, terrible. And they don't want to hear it anymore. That's why the football ratings have come back so strong. Because there's a diversion away from. You can watch the game, root for a team. All right. You don't have to think about Biden and Trump and all of this strife, you know, and then get away from it. 
That's the majority in America. They don't want to hear about this stuff anymore. Now, what brings them back into the political arena is pain. And Joe Biden is inflicting pain on the regular folks because he can't govern. He doesn't know what to do. And therefore, we're all paying more for everything we need. And you're having an open border where communities are devastated, particularly along the border. And you have COVID where he can't answer the simplest question. How long does the vaccine last? President of the United States can't answer it. Okay, so when there's pain, when you're paying more than you have, when you have an illness, then people start to pay attention. So all of this January 6th stuff will stop on Monday. But impressions have been formed. But the Democrats will remain in big trouble because the country is not doing well. And that is the truth. Thank you for watching. We will see you soon.